all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we're going to be talking about the first few years in a child's life, from the newborn stage to the toddler stage and everything in between, sleep, um, postpartum depression, breastfeeding, uh, tantrums, potty training, all the different things that you may encounter as you go through the first few years of your child's life. And we're here to answer any questions. And now we, we would love to hear from you because everybody has their own tips. And I love getting everybody's tips on different things. So um, especially when we get to the part about tantrums and potty training um, and those fun, terrible two- and three-year-old ages that we have to deal with as we're raising our children. Um, so I apologize for the way I sound. I have a little bit of a cold. And I told Kevin I'm going to do my best to get through it uh, without sneezing or coughing. Uh, So uh, if I do sound a little different, that's what it is. So I think I've just caught one of those summer colds that have been going around this time of year, especially as schools have been back in session. We're starting to see a lot of that in the clinic. So um, I have become victim. So I'm going to do my best to stay focused and not sneeze and cough. Uh, So I just apologize for that in advance. Um, But I thought this would be a fun topic. I don't feel like we've talked about this in a while um, when it comes to just newborns and toddlers, just in general, uh, because there's so many things that you encounter. And um, if you have never had a child before or you didn't um, weren't exposed to kids even before you had children, a lot of this stuff is really new. Um, So if you're a new parent out there or maybe you're a grandparent and your child just had their first child. And so you're seeing them go through a lot of that, um, having to encounter some of these different issues that you have as you're raising your little one. Um, you can, you know, it can be very overwhelming. And so I kind of want to just break down some of the common questions that we get in clinic um, and kind of go through some of those things. But like I said, we would love to hear from you because you know, I feel like a lot of this, and especially now that I've become a parent, as I'm talking to families at their checkups, you know, I can tell them a lot of like anecdotal stuff. Like, you know, well, this is what the books tell us, but let me tell you what really happens, you know, and we all know that there's those different kind of situations um, that you're going to encounter. And so if you've had some experiences and you've found some tips that can be helpful, I want to hear from you. So, and we have a caller, cat. In Mobile. Good morning, Kat. What's going on? Good morning. I have a quick question about night potty training. Um, I've been working with my uh, 
six-year-old, and I've done some research and stuff, and it says that boys may typically wet the bed at night longer than girls. And I don't know if that's um, necessarily true, but do you have any um, insight as well as any tips on how to um, successfully night train? Because he does pretty good most times, but then it's like we'll have setbacks. Right. Um, and he'll wet the bed, so I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. And you know the nighttime is one of the last parts that they get with potty training? So a lot of times they'll master it during the day, and they'll do great, but at night they still have accidents. And that can actually be pretty normal up until age seven. Um, and I think you said your son is six, so he's still kind of in that age range where we would expect him to it continue to get better, and he will eventually grow out of it. Um, I have not heard anything about boys versus girls. Now, I mean, you know, that may be something I haven't really noticed a pattern necessarily. Um, now, one thing that we do see is that it runs in families. So a lot of times um, when we're talking to parents about kids who are still bedwetting at night, they'll say, oh, well, my mother-in-law said my husband used to do this too, you know, or something like that. So we, we do tend to see that um, like in siblings or if the parent did that, so in family. So I'm not sure if that's your situation. Some of the tips that we give are going to be, number one, first and foremost, is cutting off liquids at a certain time, um, preferably at least two hours before bed if you can. Um, if you could do more than that, that's great, but sometimes that can be a little bit hard depending on your schedule. Um, but you want to cut off liquids at least two hours before and try to start limiting it a little bit before dinner time, um, and then so that they when they finish eating dinner that they're not going to have any liquids after that before bed. Um, and then, you know, pottying before bed. A lot of times parents, too, you know, you go to bed a couple of hours after your child does. And so a lot of times parents will go get them out of the bed and make them go to the bathroom right before the parents go to bed. So at least one more time to empty their bladder before. Um, and sometimes that can be helpful. The other thing is they make bed alarms, um, which can be sometimes kind of tricky to find, but I know they're available on Amazon. And essentially what the thought process of the bed alarm is, is it, it covers your mattress. And the minute it senses anything wet, the alarm goes off. And so it's supposed to wake your child up. And so that that way they start to recognize that when they, you know, when they have that sensation um, and the bed alarm hopefully will help kind of train them to be able to wake up a lot easier when they have to go to the bathroom. That's going to be that's what the studies show is the best tool. Um, But again, like I said, it's kind of hard to find those, but I have seen them on Amazon. Um, But those do work. Most of our kids that are bedwetters especially as they get older they're a lot of them are just really heavy sleepers and so that's the problem is they're they get in such that deep sleep that they don't recognize they don't get they don't feel that sensation to wake them up and so that's why those night alarm um, those bed alarms can be helpful okay well thank you so much and i hope you have a great day yeah thank you for calling um Just be patient. I know it can be a frustrating thing, but like I said, it can be totally normal up until age seven. 
Um, and so hopefully they'll grow out of it as they get a little bit older. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, like trying to train them to be able to wake up when they feel that sensation. And so the bed alarms help with that. After seven, if they're still having a problem, and especially, you know, once they get into like second and third grade, you know, you may be invited to go over to a friend's house or maybe they want a friend to come stay. And then that's when it becomes, you know, concerning because your kids will be embarrassed. They don't want to do that in front of their friends. Um, and so you can talk to your doctor. We do have medicines um, that can help that, you know, we can give that you can take. And you don't have to take it every night. You can take it as needed. Um, or you could take it every night if it's more of a problem um, that could help you with that. So if it happens, if it continues after age seven, you may want to talk to your pediatrician about medicines, too. So I did a quick search, and this comes from Reuters Health from 2011, a study that said uh, that boys are more than twice as likely to wet the bed than girls. And part of the reason is that because girls tend to mature a little bit faster. Well, that makes sense. I can see that. I, um, I've never heard that, but, I mean, it, it does make sense when it comes to that. And, you know, kind of like I was saying earlier, we know what the – we know what the literature says, but anecdotally, we see some things, and boys typically tend to be harder to potty train than girls. Um, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but girls typically pick it up a little bit sooner than boys do. I would say girls, usually somewhere between two, two and a half, and boys are more like two and a half to three before they pick it up. So, that I mean, that makes sense with boys having that problem um, more than girls do. So, potty training is one thing that... I'm starting my little girl is about to be two. And so I know it's time for us to start getting ready to do that. And I'm really dreading it, <laughs> if I'm being honest, <laughs> um, because it is it's not fun. You know, like that's one of those things that is just not going to be fun. Um, but my little girl seems to be really interested in it. And actually, uh, this morning she asked me, could she go sit in the potty? And I put her in the potty and she went to the bathroom. So we're starting, she's starting to kind of connect it. And, and so it is kind of fun because when she does it, we make a big deal. We, you know, we sing, we clap, we get all excited and she loves it. Um, but she's still not at that stage where she can tell me every time. Um, so we're kind of, we're slowly working our way into it. Uh, but potty training is one of those things that can be, very hard and very frustrating as a parent. So we talked a little bit about potty training and um, I was saying that it, it can be a hard task uh, and it's something that a lot of parents get frustrated about. And every kid is going to pick up potty training at their own time. Um, you know, we do say usually somewhere between two and two and a half is about the age where you can start potty training, uh, where they can usually do all the different things they need to do to be able to potty train. But that may not be the case for your child. You know, it may be more like two and a half to three, and that's okay. Every kid does everything, you know, everybody does everything at different speeds, different times, and that's fine. Um, so most places... In schools, once they get into, like, the three-year-old classroom, like them to be potty trained. Um, and so some parents end up getting kind of on a time, little time frame where they have to get it done before their kid can start school at three. Um, but for the most part, most kids are going to pick it up by then. Um, so there's different steps that your child is going to have to learn how to do 
so like mine right now knows how she's she'll be two in october and she knows how to go to the bathroom we can put her in the potty and if she sits long enough she'll go to the bathroom but they so that she has the physical ability to be able to do it most most babies do by the time they're 12 months 18 months you know they have the physical ability to be able to do it However, they don't always have that cognitive ability. So they have to be able to um, sense that their bladder is full or that their bowels are full and that they need to go to the bathroom to empty it. And that tends to come a little bit later. That typically comes around actually age two. Um, And so that's why a lot of kids don't get potty trained until at least two because they may be physically able to do it, but they may not be able to make that mind-body connection just yet. And I say most kids are ready by two, but some kids it is a little bit, you know, closer to two and a half before they're able to do it. Um, And then, you know, more like other physical things like motor skills of like being able to get to the potty in time. Um, So not only do they have to have the physical ability to be able to go to the potty and the cognitive readiness to be able to go to the potty, but they also have to have the motor skills to be able to do it. So they have to be able to get to the potty, you know, help get their clothes off to be able to sit on the toilet, all of that kind of thing. Um, And so, again, all of this just takes time. Um, And so it may be that you start your child at two, but they are not able to do it just yet. And you may want to give them a little bit more time. If they don't pick it up right away, just take a break for a little bit. And try again in a couple of months. You know, don't put too much stress on yourself. Um, The longer you wait, the more likely you are to have success. Just because the longer you wait, the more they're going to pick up all those skills and be able to put all those skills together. Um, So, like I said, if usually between two and two and a half is usually when I tell parents to try to start potty training. And I tell most of my parents at the 18-month visit uh, because, you know, we we see them every two to three months for the first 18 months of their life. And then we don't go again from 18 months until they turn two. So we go six months without seeing them. And so I try to tell parents at that 18-month visit, you know, you could try to start potty training, but don't get frustrated and don't put a lot of pressure on yourself because a lot of kids don't pick it up until they're two. Um, And I think that's Part of the biggest frustration with parents and their kids with potty training is because they put all these expectations um, and they have this plan in place that we're going to get it knocked out in a weekend and everything's going to be great. Um, And then it it falls apart. And that's, you know, and so I just try to tell parents, don't put too many expectations on it um, because everybody is going to do different. And just because your first child did that, your second child may not do that. Um, And that'll be okay. They're going to get it. They'll get there. Um, It just may may take them a little bit longer. When we're talking about potty training, there's no perfect program. I wish there was, <laughs> but every every kid's going to respond differently. Um, the biggest thing that we have found that is helpful with potty training is positive reinforcement. And so we'll tell you to get like a sticker chart or have some prizes for them because kids love positive reinforcement. Um, they love to be, you know, praised. They love to be told they did a great job. They respond really well if they get a prize for good behavior or TTN on the potty. Um, and so if you create like a sticker chart or you have a prize bucket or something like that, and when they go to the potty, um, they get their prize or their sticker or whatever it may be, uh, kids respond very well to that. And they're more likely to continue that habit in the future um, if they know that they're going to be able to get a prize. 
So um, positive reinforcement is very helpful. And then consistency. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to potty train my kid and do it for a weekend. But then, you know, you go to work during the week and you're not able to do it during the week. You know, it, it that really just throws them off. So consistency is key. So if you are a working mom, which I am, um, and you're not able to be at home all the time, you know, you want to work with whoever your child um child care provider is, whether that be at daycare or if you have a nanny or maybe a grandparent, you want everybody to be on board because when you start potty training, you got to be consistent uh, because the kids, like, they will revert right back if you stop having the routine of going to the potty. Um, so the biggest thing is having consistency, positive reinforcement, and trying to do some scheduled potty times. So the minute they wake up, put them on the potty. Um, Like my little girl, the minute she wakes up, she likes to drink her milk. And so after she drinks her milk, we put her right on the potty. You know, that kind of thing. After she eats, put her on the potty so that you're having some kind of scheduled. And then they kind of start they kind of start sensing it. They start feeling that sensation of when they're sitting on the potty and they go to the bathroom and they may be able to start recognizing that a little bit more. Um, So those are just a few of the things that you've got to do. Now, if you want to do like a pants-free weekend or um, I know little boys sometimes parents will just let them go to the bathroom wherever because they can. Um, And that's fine. Whatever method works best for you when it comes to that. You know, you got to find what works best for you and your family. Um, But the biggest things when you're potty training from a pediatrician standpoint is consistency and positive reinforcement are going to be the the two biggest things. Uh, We've got a caller, Rebecca, who is in Gulfport. She has a story about potty training. What's your story, Rebecca? Well, my mother was quite frustrated with my older brother and trying to potty train him. And my father never took him into the bathroom with him. And they were visiting some friends one day, and the older boys took my brother into the bathroom with them. And he came out, and I'm going to potty like Johnny does. Mm -hmm. And my mother had no problems after that. Yes. Yeah, no, that's a great point, too, Rebecca, because a lot of kids, I mean, kids mimic our behaviors. You know, they're little sponges. They're listening to everything we say. They're watching everything that we do. Um, And so that's a great introduction to it, to potty training, is to bring them into the bathroom with you and let them see what happens. So that's a great story. All right. Y'all have a blessed day. Yeah, thanks for calling. Yeah, that, I mean... At most parents, you know, I don't, you can't go to the bathroom in peace a lot of times anyway, so they are sneaking in there. Um, but if they're not seeing you do it, they don't know what to expect. So that's such a great point. So thanks for bringing that up, Rebecca. Um, so since we're in the toddler, I figured we could just stay there. The other big topic that we see in toddler years is tantrums. Um, and so potty, potty training and tantrums, I feel like, are the two biggest things that we talk about excuse me, that we talk about at our um, toddler visits, at our two- and three-year-old visits, because this is the age where these tend to peak. And so tantrums are very normal. Um, We know that this is just a normal part of their development. A lot of it has to do with the fact that they can't communicate with us, and this is the way that they act out. And so a lot of our discipline regarding tantrums is geared around that. So... um, you know, when we're talking about how to manage tantrums, a lot of it is consistency and discipline. So this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We are talking today about those early years in our kids' development and their lives and some of the different things that you may encounter. 
and how to handle those. And so we talked a lot um, for the first part of the show about potty training. And then um, before the break, I kind of introduced tantrums. Because that's the other big thing that we see in toddlers. Um, And a lot of that is they just can't communicate with this. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the different things that you can do for your tantrums for your child. So our our children, um, between 18 months and about three years old, their language is booming. You know, they go from at 18 months old, we expect them to say maybe 10 words. Two by three, they should be able to make full-on sentences. And so during that time frame, between 18 months and three, their language just really, really picks up. But it does take a little bit before they get to that three-year-old where they're able to make sentences. And so for that, they have a hard time communicating what they want with us. They have a hard time regulating some of those emotions around those communication problems that they have due to their development you know, and not being able to make full sentences. And so with that, we see a lot of tantrums. Um, And so kids, when they don't get what they want or when they're trying to tell you something and you're not able to understand what they say, they get mad, they yell, they cry, they stomp their feet. Um, And a lot of it just has to do with because they can't communicate what they want. Now, a lot of it, too, is just because they can't regulate their emotions just yet, and they're still trying to work through some of those things. Um, and so when we talk about how to manage them, then it you know a lot of that gears back. You have to think about why they're acting that way, and we try to <clears throat> gear our discipline towards that. So parents come in, and they talk about the terrible twos and the throwing tantrums and um you know, uh, we we say terrible twos, but really it starts at like 18 months. Um, and then we have a term that we call the three-year-olds, the three-nagers, because by three they can talk to you, but they have attitudes. <laughs> and so they can talk back to you now. And so all of it kind of, you know, these, these few years, these toddler years can be very frustrating. Um, and so, but the most important thing is we talked about with potty training is consistency and positive reinforcement is the exact same thing when we're talking about managing tantrums and discipline in our, and discipline in our toddlers. So when kids act out and they're having a tantrum and they're fussing and screaming, they're just trying to get your attention. And that may be negative, you know, attention that they're getting with you fussing at them or um, them getting in trouble, whatever it may be, but you're still giving them the attention. And so what we want to do is we want to switch that attention to more positive reinforcement when they do good things. So like we talked about with the potty training, when they go to the bathroom, you want that positive reinforcement. You want to make sure they have a sticker, you know, stickers, prizes, you know, cheer, clap, sing, dance, all the things. It's the exact same thing when they do good things. So I'll just give a personal example right now. You know, I have two little ones at home who are very close in age, only 14 months apart. And so therefore, and they're only, I mean, they're little, they're only 21 months and seven months. However, you can already see some of the things of like taking toys and when she gets upset with her and because my little one doesn't really understand and she'll grab her hair and then the bigger one gets mad and pushes her down and all the things. I mean, you know, it it starts so early. I'm like, and mine stay home. And so they're only with each other. So I don't really understand where they pick it up, but it's just innate in little ones. You know, this, this kind of behavior is just, it's there. It's the way we were made. 
And so um, so everybody's going to encounter this at some point. But anyway, all that being said is we have found – and this is what I tell my patients too, but now I'm seeing it in real life – is when my little girl does something nice for her sister – you know, if she goes and gets her a toy or um, sometimes she'll bring her her pacifier, you know, we tell her, oh, great job. Look at you being such a good big sister and that kind of thing. And she will just grin ear to ear. And then she just wants to go and love on her and hug on her and, and show how good of a big sister she is, you know, just because she loved getting that praise when she did the good things. So, we know that they love hearing those praises and getting the compliments and getting the prizes or whatever it may be, that they're more likely to do that behavior again. Now, is that going to fix every problem? No. Like I said, they're innately just terrorize each other. I mean, that's just what little ones do. Um, But they are more likely to repeat those good behaviors if they hear that positive reinforcement. And so that's one of the first things that we do. Um, And sometimes you do have to do some negative reinforcement, you know. I mean, there's sometimes that the positive reinforcement is not always going to work. Like my little one, the other day I came home and she had a big old bruise on her head because her sister had pushed her down for no reason um, because she was crawling on her. So she pushed her down. And so that kind of stuff, you can't let those kind of behaviors happen. And in that situation, you are going to have to do some negative reinforcement. And everybody's idea of negative reinforcement is different. Um, But I will say one of the first things that we recommend doing is, just like we do for older kids, we recommend taking things away. Little ones don't really understand that yet. Um, And so you can't, they don't really have things you can take away from them. You know, at 18 months, at two years old, there's not much that they have that they love, you know. They may play with your iPad or your phone or something like that, but they don't, <clears throat> that's not really theirs. They don't have a lot of possession over that yet. So that kind of taking things away doesn't work just yet for kids, little ones, but time out does. So taking them out of situations that they're enjoying, um, and that can be their negative reinforcement. So, you know, you want to try to have the positive reinforcement, like I said, as much as you can. But in certain situations, you are going to have to do that negative reinforcement. <clears throat> and timeout's the perfect way to start that. And you can start it, you know, at 18 months. They, they, they're starting to understand. They may not always get it, but they're starting to understand. And you don't want to put them in timeout for forever because still their little brains are still developing and they don't really understand and are able to process all of it just yet. So you want to do it in limited little spurts. So um, we usually say for however old they are, that's how many minutes they sit in timeout. So a one-year-old is going to be one minute, two-year-old, two-minute, three-year-old, three-minute, et cetera. Um, So that that way you're still able to get to the point because the longer they sit there, they're going to kind of forget why they're actually there. So you want to make sure that you kind of keep it short and sweet um, just to make sure that they're, they're able to understand what's happening with them. And so tantrums can be just... It can be super frustrating, um, but I just always try to remind parents that this is a natural part of development. It will get better with time for most of our children, and this is all very normal behavior. They are very hyper. They are very distractible. um, They are very irritable and emotional at this age, and this is all normal. This does not mean your child is going to have ADHD. This does not mean your child is going to have behavioral problems. A lot of this they will grow out of as they get more mature, both both emotionally and being able to speak better just as their development progresses. A lot of this will resolve on its own. 
And one last thing um, before we move on is um, as parents, it's our and grandparents and anybody, you know, I mean, they say it takes the village to raise the kid, and it's true. So anybody that's going to be around your child, you want to make sure that they're modeling that good behavior. You know, you, they don't want <clears> – <throat> If your kid sees you acting out and your kid sees you getting mad and your kid sees you yelling and that kind of thing, kids are little sponges. They are watching you just like we, um, our caller talked about with potty training. <clears throat> All it took for her brother to pick up potty training was to go watch somebody do it. Um, so kids are watching and they like to watch and they like to do what we do. And so if they see bad behavior, then they're going to mimic that bad behavior. So the most most important thing we can do is um, be on good behavior ourselves. Um, Consistency and positive reinforcement. Can't stress that enough when it comes to behavior. I wanted to shift a little bit. Uh, We talked a lot about um, toddlers, but now I wanted to talk some about our newborns because I feel like that's another very stressful time for our parents. Um, You don't get a lot of sleep. There's lots of emotions, all the different things that set up for a disaster. And I feel like sleep is one of the biggest things that we get with newborn questions. And so I kind of wanted to focus on that um, first. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about postpartum depression because I feel like we're seeing that so much lately. Um, And it is part of the newborn care because a lot of times as pediatricians, we get so focused on the baby and the mom kind of gets left to the side. But thankfully, over the past few years, the American Academy of Pediatrics has kind of tried to shift that a little bit. And part of the screening that it is recommended for us to do at the two-week, two-month, four-month, and six-month visit is to screen the mom and to talk to the mom and ask her how she is doing. And then also the state of Mississippi, yay, passed Medicaid, um, some Medicaid expansion and coverage for our postpartum moms, um, which was great news for our moms so that they can actually keep their coverage. Um, if their child is going to be on Medicaid, they can keep their coverage for, I think, the first year. Don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% certain. Um, but they're able to keep their coverage, I think, through the first year of life, which is wonderful because then they're able to get the care that they need if they are suffering from postpartum depression. So those were two big topics I wanted to talk about um, because I feel like we're finally getting a better shift on the postpartum depression. Um, and so I wanted to be able to, to know that we can recognize that and what you can do if you experience that or you have a family member that does. Okay, so let's talk about newborns and sleep uh, because I feel like that is a huge topic that we get asked on um, My husband got a text from his friend who just had a baby not even a week ago and was like, does Morgan have any tips on how we can get um, her to better understand her nights and days? Because she still has those mixed up. I'm like, that's because she was just born, you know. Um, We're not going to be able to fix that right now. And so I feel like a lot of this is just people need to have realistic expectations when it comes to sleeping your baby. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we can fix and there's a lot of things we can't fix. You know, the babies have been in the mommy's belly for nine, really almost 10 months. And they come out into this world and they have, they no longer have the comfort. It's not dark anymore. You know, they were used to this dark environment. Um, if you, you know, the babies, when they're in the tummy, the, everything is given, you know, their supplies through the placenta and there's lots of blood flow. 
And so they have a lot of, they hear a lot of this whooshing noise, so it's dark. They've got like their own built-in sound machine, essentially. And then here they come into this world where it's like bright outside, it's loud, and it's just a, you know, it just throws everything off for them. So it's going to take a little bit before they reset. And babies sleep a lot during that first few weeks of life. You know, babies sleep anywhere like up to like 17, 18 hours a day. They're only going to be awake, you know, anywhere between like 30 minutes to an hour at a time. And so their sleep is just all out of whack those first few weeks of life. What I would recommend, um, I don't really recommend sleep training your child until they get to be a little bit older. Um, that's just a personal preference. I, I mean, you know, there's all different kinds of methods out there. But I think most people would agree not to start until they get to be at least one month old. Um, varying programs tell you different things, but I like to say till at least one month. Um, because that first month of life, you can't really spoil your baby. That's just kind of how they are. They're going to be sleeping a lot. They're only going to wait for a little bit. They're going to eat, and they're going to go back to sleep. That's just what they do. But after that first month, they start waking up a little bit more. And I wouldn't recommend necessarily sleep training, um, but more of trying to make healthy habits with sleeping. And so we can talk a little bit about that. But we've got a caller first. Um, So we'll go to Craig, who's in Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. What's going on? Hey, good morning. Uh, I re- recently heard on the news about these heavy blankets or weights that they're using with infants, and something, and some of them actually died from that. Do, do you know what the deal is in that? I haven't seen anything. Now, I know that there are some companies that make weighted um, swaddles. And so, like, you know, you swaddle the baby, and some of the swaddles have some of the kind of weighted. But I don't know that it's really any, I've never actually seen one. Uh, because I think you have to order them online. There's a specific company that makes them. But from what I understand, I don't think they're, like, super heavy, but I think it does give a little bit more pressure just to kind of give them that, like, comfort. Um, But I haven't seen anything about weighted blankets necessarily. That's kind of scary to think about. Yeah, it was. they said there was all kind of different items that they were making that that several uh, infants had perished, so... Mm. I was just wondering if you had any any, uh, information on that. No, like I said, I've seen the weighted swaddles, um, but when I did my research about them and looked at them, um, because I had a friend from work that actually did that for their child, um, it doesn't seem like it's very much weight. You know, if you pick up those big old weighted blankets that they make for adults, those things are pretty heavy. Um, This was very minimal. I mean, it was more of just to kind of keep it a little bit tighter more than anything just to provide that extra comfort. But I would not, I mean, you know, we don't recommend putting a blanket in the bed with an infant anyway um, until they're, I mean, I say to at least closer to 18 months, but I would say at least a year of life. I wouldn't put a lot of different things in the bed with your child, especially a blanket. Um, So I definitely would not recommend a weighted blanket for a newborn or an infant. Okay, thank you. I I didn't know that you you didn't need, you weren't supposed to have a blanket in there. I have three children myself. I always had blankets. I didn't know that that was an issue. Yeah, I mean, you know, just with the little bitty ones, especially, you know, once they start kind of rolling and moving a little bit, you don't really want anything. Um, We recommend having nothing in the crib with a a little one um, at first. Now, I mean, you could argue once they get to be about six months, potentially putting something in there. But I usually tell parents wait until at least 12 to 18 months um, until they're really good and comfortable with their sleep and able to sit up, stand up, roll over with ease. So that's just kind of my recommendation. 
Uh, but, okay, thank you. I'll pass it, pass it on. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Craig, for calling. We appreciate it. And like I said, I just try to set up realistic expectations that that first month um, your baby's going to be waking up a lot. You know, it takes a little bit before they start to kind of get in that rhythm. And so for that first month, you know, I just tell parents just uh, you're just going to have to, you know, have help, take turns throughout the night. Um, everybody always says sleep when your baby sleeps, which is a great thought in theory, but it is very difficult to do um, because when your baby sleeps, that's when you actually are able to get other things done around the house, like take care of your other children, get supper ready, fold the clothes, all the things like that. So while that's wonderful in theory, that's not always possible to do. So um, it is really nice if you're able to take turns with your partner or maybe you have a family member that's able to come and stay with you some um, just so you can able to get a little bit of rest because that first month of life is going to be really tough when it comes to sleep. After the first month of life, the first thing I would recommend doing trying to get your child in a, a good sleep, healthy sleep routine is um, we always recommend having some kind of noise. So like a little white noise machine. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, earlier, um, when they're in the stomach and all of that blood around them with the placenta and the rushing of that, it kind of creates their own little sound machine. I mean, so if you can kind of drown out some of that ambient noise, give them back some of that comfort uh, with that white noise of similar to what they had in the womb, it helps them sleep. Um, swaddling is also great. Um, they like to have that closeness, that comfort. Um, Craig mentioned those heavy blankets. I, you know, I would not, like I said, not put a blanket in the bed with the baby, but a swaddle is fine. Um, you know, it keeps the baby in their little cocoon kind of thing. Kind of little, I mean, that's what they look like. They look like they're in a little cocoon with their little head out the top and their arms all wrapped up. Um, and there's different ways you can swaddle. You can put their arms in, you can put their arms out. Um, but they just like to feel that kind of closeness on them. So when it comes time to putting them to sleep, um, if you can put them to sleep awake before they fall asleep, that's going to create a very healthy habit um, because they're going to learn how to put themselves to sleep at an earlier age. And that's going to be the key to helping them sleep through the night because when they wake up in the middle of the night, they've got to put themselves back to sleep. And that's a skill that they have to learn to do. And so if you can start doing that and just trying to put them down awake and let them put themselves to sleep, that is the one of the best things that you can do when you're trying to get your baby to sleep through the night. Um, so that's one of the biggest things that you can do is put them down awake. Now, realistically, most babies are not going to sleep through the night until six months. Um, but usually by six months, uh, we can start trying to, you know, if by six months they have enough um I guess like fat stores and they're getting enough nutrition throughout the day that they don't necessarily need those feeds at night. Um, and so by then, you know, if you've been hesitant to do any kind of sleep training program with cutting out feeds and that sort of thing, by six months, we know that most babies should be fine to be able to sleep through the night without a feeding. And so that would be a safe time if you've been hesitant to go in and start some of those sleep training programs. Um, the cry it out method, I feel like that's a big controversial thing. If you feel comfortable doing that, most pediatricians are going to tell you that's fine. Um, there's other pro there's programs that show you safe ways at, to do it where you can still create that healthy attachment between the mom and the baby. So like one of the programs that um, I looked into and that I actually used for my little ones 
was you were able to let them cry it out, um, but you were able to go in at certain intervals to be able to be there with your baby. And so you can do, you don't have to just like let the baby lay in the crib and cry for forever. Um, you can still go in there. There's, uh, there's all kinds of methods that you can do. So if this is something that you're interested in, um, you can email us and we can, I can give you some, um, some tips and some, um, Companies that I feel are actually really good, their sleep training programs are really nice um, and still are able to have that connection between the mom and the baby so you don't lose that attachment. And that's one of the biggest things people worry about with the crying it out method. Um, but most pediatricians are going to tell you that it is totally fine um, for your baby to cry it out. But again, I would not recommend doing that until um, no no earlier than a month old, um, preferably closer to that you know two-month, three-month age before you really start those sleep training methods. Um, so lastly, before um, we finish, I wanted to just, like I said, mention postpartum depression um, because I feel like uh, this is a big topic. Um, one of my friends sent me an article about a lady, I think like in New York on Long Island, um, who was actually a physician that killed her baby and then killed herself. She had a four-month-old baby. Um and they're suspecting postpartum depression. And I just feel like we're seeing more and more stories of that here lately. Um, and I just wanted to be able to bring it up so that most people could um, be able to recognize some of those signs, whether it be in you, whether it be in a family member or a friend, uh, because a lot of the stuff just kind of gets pushed aside. Like I said, the mom kind of gets pushed aside uh, because everybody's so focused on the baby and they should be, <clears throat> but we also can't forget about the mom. And I always tell our moms, if you can't take care of yourself, then you're never going to be able to take care of your baby. Um, and so I just wanted to bring that up. And like I said, as pediatricians now, it's recommended for us to screen the moms. So not only are we talking about the baby at those first um, four visits of life, but we're also asking the mom how they're doing. And we screen them for depression. Um, and if they are positive for depression, um, since I take care of adults too, a lot of times we'll just get them into our clinic and we can help them get treated. Um if you are, if you're just seeing a pediatrician who doesn't take care of adults, they also have means to be able to get you back in with your um, OBGYN, or they can get you into the family medicine, internal medicine. There are options out there for you where we can get you some help. Um, you can do medicines, you can do counseling. There is no right or wrong way to treat postpartum depression. Um, the biggest thing is that you just want to be able to recognize it because you want to be able to intervene before it gets too bad. Some of those postpartum blues, totally normal. Um, you're going to have some crying spills. You're going to have some mood swings. But that should all get better by two weeks. If it's not getting better and it's persisting or you start having more intrusive thoughts, um, then you want to make sure you're getting some help. And I can't stress it enough, like spouses, partners, family members, talk to the mom and ask them how they're feeling. You know, don't just assume that everything's okay. Ask them. Make sure they're doing okay. Um Ask how they're feeling. Ask how you can help um, because it is a very overwhelming time, and it's overwhelming for both parents. You know, it's not just the mom, um, but we do typically see it more in the mom. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Like I said, I'm, I'm proud of Mississippi for expanding um, the Medicaid so that we can actually have more coverage for our moms in their postpartum time frame, and, and hopefully we can uh, start catching a little bit more of that and preventing some of these tragedies that we've been hearing about lately. Um, but thank you all for our callers and for our discussion today. If there's something we missed and you had some questions, you can always email us at kids at mpbonline.org. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio. And is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. 
Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.